continue our sermon series that we're in called In Defense of Christianity. And just to set it up for you really quick, what this is about, we're kind of looking at all the uh, evidence that there is out there that kind of backs the existence of God in, in the, the claims of Christianity. And so how this works is I'm kind of acting like a, uh, the defense and presenting a lot of the evidence that just points to who God is and points to the validity of the, the truth of Scripture. And this morning, we're going to continue right along in that, that, uh, that vein. One of the most debated sentences in the Bible is the very first sentence. It's a sentence that is a bold statement about how everything came to be. It simply says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, it's a bit of a controversial statement. Um, those of you in the room that are, are students, um, if you were to bring this up in your, your science class and you were to stand there and say, hey, everybody, just so you know, I believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you might get a good response. You might, most likely, you wouldn't get a great response. Um, some people might look at you like you just had stood up and said, I believe that the Easter bunny dropped uh, chocolate Easter eggs under the tree in my backyard. But it's a, it's a pretty controversial statement. And uh, one of the most prominent atheists, um, his name is Richard Dawkins, he actually says that, um, uh, he argues that you can't be an intelligent thinker and believe that the universe was created by God. And one of his favorite things to say is that there's, there's no more evidence that the flying spaghetti monster is, is real than there is to say that there is that uh, God is real, that he exists. And the two most widely held beliefs in America about how the universe came to be are, there's two beliefs really. First one is that God created everything, and the second belief is that everything just kind of created itself. And um, either the Bible is true and God designed and orchestrated creation, or it's not, and everything kind of created itself and came, came out of nothing. The first belief is the Christian belief, and the second belief is a belief mainly known as, as naturalism. It's this idea that uh, uh, there was a big bang out of nowhere, uh, cells and, and stuff came to be, and uh, the, the universe just kind of evolved from that first kind of initial um, explosion. And um, it's, it's also known as the theory of evolution. But in this natural view of creation, there, there's only one big bang that's, that's ever talked about. And uh, one guy, his name is Frank Pastore. He's a, a guy with Prager University. And he talks about how there's actually more than one big bang that needs to be accounted for if you look at the whole stream of, of evolutionary thought. There's more than one beginning. And uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to talk a little bit about these beginnings that need to be accounted for and then also look at, at how the evidence of Scripture and how the evidence that, that's out there in creation, the scientific evidence that's out there, actually points towards God. And so we're going to start off this morning with a lot of kind of science and a lot of some philosophy, and then we're going to kind of wrap up this morning by really diving into what, what God's Word says. But Frank Pastore, this guy, he says there's three beginnings that, that need to be explained within evolutionary theory. The first beginning is the cosmos. So the cosmos is the stars, the galaxies, the planets, all that stuff. And, and how did, the question is, how did something come from nothing? How did dirt just show up? How did oceans just show up? How did, how did mountains just kind of come to be? Naturalists, they, they can't explain this other than to kind of paint this picture of how all of a sudden it was like a cosmic light switch got flipped on. And all of a sudden, just out of nothing, there was something. 
astrophysicists, the, the really, really smart guys who study the stars and they study the origins of the cosmos and they use all their, their mathematical brains to kind of figure out how things came to be, they have a lot of ideas about what happened after that first Big Bang, but they don't have really anything about what happened before. Like, how did that first Big Bang happen? But even if they could explain how the cosmos came to be, even if they could explain the planets and the stars, there's still another beginning that's not accounted for within evolutionary theory, and that's this um, beginning of life. How did life come from the lifeless? How did dirt all of a sudden evolve into something that's alive? How did rocks become living? How did molecules turn into monkeys and elephants and rhododendrons and giant sequoias and, and rainbow trout? And it's, it's interesting to me how, you know, in the age of science, with some of the most brilliant minds in history, guys like, like Einstein using some of the most advanced equipment that we've, we've ever had, we still to this day are nowhere close to being able to create life from nothing, to create life from, from, from nothing. Yes, we can manipulate life forms, we can tweak DNA and all that stuff, but we have no idea how to create life from, from dead stuff. Um, but even if you had the cosmos, even if you had living plants and animals, and you could explain all that, there's still another beginning that's not accounted for, and that's the beginning of, of human life. How do you get human life? How did animals become self-reflective, rational humans? And when, when Charles Darwin wrote his book, The Origin of the Species, he was actually trying to answer this question right here. How did a worm evolve into uh, a human being with a mind like a Beethoven or, or a Michelangelo? How does it learn to appreciate beauty and to, to have a moral compass? And science... And scientists have invested thousands of, of dollars, uh, um, millions, uh, or maybe more millions of dollars, trying to figure out how it all began. And, and what I really find interesting in, in faith building, actually, is how the more that we, we come to know and understand about life and the universe and science and all this kind of stuff, the more it actually points towards God rather than away from God. And a lot of times you'll hear people talk about how science and, and religion are, are opposed to one another. It's just not true. Um, science actually works hand in hand and actually points towards um, the, the existence of how there's, there's got to be somebody out there who caused all this to be. And there's a lot of scientific evidence that points to God. And one of the, the, the first pieces of, pieces of evidence is the existence of the universe. That's pretty strong evidence that there's a God. I'm here. You're here. Um, tonight, if it's a clear night, you can look up in the sky, and you're going to see stars and galaxies and planets and all that stuff. Somehow, we're here. That's evidence. I brought a painting this morning that maybe some of you have something similar to this. A little Dayton paint action, anybody? But, uh, but I have this painting. I know who painted this. You most likely don't know who painted it. But just because you don't know who painted it doesn't mean there wasn't an artist who painted it. This picture is, is evidence that there's an artist out there somewhere. You don't even have to know who that artist is, but it's evidence to, 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 to point to how there's an artist out there who painted this picture. And it's the same thing with creation. It exists. It's here. It points to how there's somebody out there that, that created this. Another piece of scientific evidence that points to God is the Big Bang Theory. And for most of history... 
people in the scientific community, people from you know, Aristotle right up to Einstein, they believed that the, the, the common understanding in the scientific community was that the universe just always existed. It didn't have a beginning. It just always was. Well, back in 1929, there was this major discovery in the scientific world that just rocked the scientific world. Um, it was a discovery made by this guy named Edwin Hubble. And in 1929, he uh, made this, this just incredible discovery looking through his telescope one day. And what he saw was that um, light measured from distant stars appeared to be redder as the distance from the earth increased. So as stars got further from the earth, they, they got redder. As they, they got closer to the earth, they, they got bluer. And it's called this red shift effect. And what this discovery proved is that all distant galaxies are moving away from the earth as velocities proportional to their distance to the earth. Now, I know you're going, Rich, it's Sunday morning. I just rolled out of bed. I have no idea what you just said. So let me put that to you really simply. What this, what this means is that the universe is constantly expanding. It's been scientifically proven that the universe is constantly expanding. This discovery, um, like I said, it shook the scientific community because of its implications. But, but what this meant is that if the universe is constantly expanding, then theoretically you could hit the rewind button and the universe would go back to a really small point where it would have a beginning. Edwin Hubble's research proved that the universe had a start. And this led to what's become known as the Big Bang Theory, the theory that time and matter began as the Big Bang. And you might be asking, Rich, what does this have to say about God? What is, how does this point to the existence of God? Well, let me just, Stephen Hawking, who's one of the, uh, just the great minds on the planet, um, he actually explains really, uh, and just in a great way, how this points to God. He says this, he says, um, almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Then he goes on to note the discomfort for atheists with this. He says, many people do not like the idea that time has a beginning probably because it smacks of divine intervention. In other words, if there's a beginning, if there's a bang, if there's a cause, it has to have an effect. Someone who is outside of time and space had to cause that to happen. Um, a guy named Alan Sandage, who spent most of his life as a, an atheist, he's one of the most influential uh, astronomers of the 20th century. He uh, was right up there. He actually won the, the big prize one year in astronomy. But he spent most of his life denying the existence of God. But at age 50, as he describes it, he willed himself to accept God. And he said this. He said, it was my science that drove me to the conclusion that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science. He says, it is only through the supernatural that I can understand the mystery of existence. This guy goes, I study all this stuff. I, my, I make my living studying the universe and the, the origins of it and all that. I have to admit that there's, there's a God. There's more scientific evidence that I, I'd love for you to see this morning. Um, there's the complexity of the universe, our universe is not simple. It's very, very complex. The way the galaxies and the planets and the stars are all hung in space, the way it can support life, it's very complex. There was a couple scientists that wrote a book, and uh, the book is called Evolution from Space. 
these two scientists, one's, one's name is Fred Hoyle, the other one, uh, Chandra Rick Ramansinghe, and uh, they argue that the probability of life arising on earth on its own is on the order of one chance of 10 to the power of 40,000. Now, that's a massive number that we can't wrap our mind around. But just to give you an understanding of the odds they're talking about, 10. So you remember 10 to the power of 10 means 10. You got that little number up there. All your students are going, yeah, we know what you're talking about, Rich. But 10 to the power of 10 is 1 trillion. And these brilliant astronomers' mathematical minds are saying the probability of life, this universe just kind of coming to its, on its own, is 10 to the power of 40,000. That is a lot of zeros. And to help us understand, they said it's the same probability that a tornado, tornado could blow through a scrapyard and piece together a Boeing 747 airplane full of gas ready to fly. That's pretty slim odds that it just kind of came to be. That's some evidence that points to the existence of God. Another piece of evidence is the complexity of life. So you have the complexity of the universe, but then you have the complexity of life. I brought here this morning a little prop I want to show you. It's something you have growing in your backyard. It's just a simple piece of grass. And uh, what's incredible about this piece of, of grass is there's not one single person on the planet that can create a piece of grass. Such a simple life form that we, we all have. We're growing around, it's, it's everywhere. But it's, it's incredibly complex, which is why it can't be created. It has this root system here that just somehow knows that it needs to go down into the ground and get water. It has these leaves that somehow just know that they, have, that they, they need to soak up the sun's energy and convert that to chemical energy so that it has food. It will it, eventually sprout these seeds that will fall to the ground and, and contain within them, these little tiny itty-bitty seeds will contain within them what's necessary for this piece of grass to grow out of those, those seeds. It's incredibly, incredibly complex. And yet think of how simple this piece of grass is to the human body. I mean, you can't even compare the, t- the two. The Bible says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But even if you had scientists that could somehow spend like hours and millions of dollars trying to create a piece of grass and say 50 years from now they could actually create a piece of grass, what's that going to point to? That's actually going to point to intelligent design. A group of smart minds putting their heads together to make some grass. But, but the complexity of life is evidence that there's a God. Another piece of scientific evidence is what's called irreducible complexity. And this is just a fancy phrase that, that, that states how many structures and organisms must have numerous parts all at once or they just won't function. So the eye would be one of these, these organ, the, the, uh, part of the body that, that it needs to all be there or it's not going to function. And so if you take evolutionary theory, how, how can the eye just evolve? How, how, how are the clumps of cells going to know that they need to evolve into an eye that can see? And, and what this does is it points to how it, it just, it's not possible. There must be a God. And the last piece of ev- scientific evidence that points to the existence of God is a universe intricately designed to support life. 
if I was to show up in a hotel room this week, walk in, and there on the bed, I see my clothes, I, I see pictures of my family hanging on the walls, my favorite music is playing on the stereo, my favorite meal is sitting on the counter, uh, it's the, the temperature in the room is just set to the temperature that I enjoy the most, that would indicate to me that somebody knew that I was coming. Somebody was expecting that Rich Warner was going to show up in that hotel room. Well, when you look at the universe and how it's so perfectly designed to support life, it's safe to say that someone knew we were coming. And, and scientists who, who don't believe in God, in order to dismiss all this evidence of how the universe is fine-tuned to support life, they've got different theories to, to disprove that. One of the theories that is called multiverse. It's this idea that there's billions and billions and billions of universes out there. And so if there's billions of universes, the, the odds are that one of them must be able to support life. And it's uh, a, a guy named Alvin Plantiga. He gives us this great illustration to help us understand how this is just not really a, a plausible theory. He says, imagine a man dealing himself 20 straight hands of four aces in the same game of poker. So one guy, he's a dealer. He, he deals himself 20 straight hands. And he's got four aces in all 20 of those hands. Now, I, I've talked a lot about my, my poker addiction back in the days around here. I've played a lot of poker. Never, never, never have I had four aces in one hand, let alone 20 hands. But imagine you've got this poker player who's, who's got 20 hands of four aces. And as his companions are starting to reach for their guns because they're playing poker in a shady, dark alley somewhere, this this poker player, he says, okay, guys, I know this looks suspicious, but what if there's an infinite succession of universes so that for any possible distribution of poker hands, there is one universe in which the possibility is realized. We just happen to find ourselves in one where I always deal myself four aces without cheating. Now, even though it is actually technically possible for that to happen, 20 hands, four aces every single time, None of his poker companions are going to believe, and, and his, his explanation is not going to hold any water with those guys. They're going to go, you, yeah, right, buddy, you cheated. The presence of design is so overwhelming that biologists who don't want to believe in a God decide the design they witness everywhere just isn't real. They go, yeah, we see design. Yeah, we see the complexity of life. Yes, we see the complexity of the universe, but, but it's, it's got to be something else. One of these um, biologists, a guy named um, Francis Crick, the guy who initially discovered DNA, would say, biologists must constantly keep in mind that what they see was not designed but evolved. So even though you see the evidence of God's existence everywhere, they're going, we have to believe in something else. Which really kind of begs the question, why? Why would you see all that and go, no matter what, we're not going to believe in God. There's got to be something deeper going on in here for you to see all that evidence and go, we're, we're just not going to believe. When you consider how the universe began, how life in all of its diversity, from trees to flowers, insects, animals, all that stuff, the evidence pointing to the existence of God is actually overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And, and what I'd like to do this morning is wrap up by 
moving away from the philosophy and the science and all that stuff and, and land on God's word and not only what, what the evidence says about the existence of God, but what does God's word say about who God is in light of all the evidence. And the first thing that, that God's word tells us is that God alone is eternal. Everything else had a beginning. We don't have to try to figure out who created that Big Bang. Um, we don't need to sit back and figure out um, how the painting came into existence. The Bible tells us, it, it simply says this, um, before the, the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's always been God. He always will be God. He's eternal. He's, all, he, he's God. He's, he's always existed. And some people will push back and say, okay, well, unless we can understand who God is and, and how God came to be, unless we can understand how God was created, then the whole, the whole plausibility of there being a God just un- unravels. We have to understand how God created. He couldn't have had a beginning. Well, that's actually an irrelevant statement to make. If, and just to help you understand how that's irrelevant, if I was walking out in the the county, and I'm walking through some farmland, and I come across a farm post, post, and on top of that farm post, there's a turtle that's upside down, just kind of kicking around on its shell. I, I don't have to know who put that there or how that person came to be to know that somebody put that turtle there. You know what I'm saying? Because a turtle is just not going to end up on top of a fence post upside down. Somebody had to have put that there. There's enough evidence right there in itself. And it's the same thing with, with the universe. When we look at all the evidence, asking how the creator came to be is actually irrelevant. It's just we're here. So the question is, who is this God? Who is this God? Next, we see in light of all the evidence that God is the only one who can take nothing and make it into something. The Bible says that by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In other words, God made what was seen, all this, he made it out of what was invisible. God takes nothing, thin air, and he can make it into something. And, and I love uh, this about God and what this says about God because in the same way that he can take nothing in the physical sense, it also it tells us about how he can take what's nothing in the spiritual sense. He can take what's dead and make it alive. Yeah, he does this with our lives all the time. He takes the brokenness of our lives. He takes what's, what's, what's dead because of sin, and he comes and he breathes life into it. He shapes it. He molds it. And he, he uses our lives for his glory and for his honor. And I love what this says about our own lives. You know, you might have walked in here this morning, and maybe you're going, okay, my life is a mess. My life is just full of failure. My life is full of brokenness. I'm here on my last leg. I don't know what God could possibly do in or through my life. We serve a God who specializes in taking what's nothing, what's broken, and making it into something. It's incredible the way God does this. Don't ever sell God short. The Bible also says that, that, um, that, that God rises far above every human limitation. So as we look at the evidence in cre- creation and we, we look at 
how things began and how time and space began. We just can't even think about how this, this happened. We try to, to create life, and we just can't make it happen. But then we look at God, and we go, okay, he rises above all those limitations. The Bible says that, for as the sky soars high above earth, so the, the way I work surpasses the way you work. This is God speaking. He says, and the way I think is beyond the way you think. Our inability to transcend time and space, God rises above it. Our inability to create life from nothing, God rises above it. Our inability to break free from the power of sin, guess what? God rises above it. Our inability to break free from captivity, from addiction, from drugs, from alcohol, pornography, whatever that addiction might be, God comes in and he rises above it. Our inability to, to, to lead people to Christ and to make a difference in our community and in the world that we live in on our own, God comes in and he rises above it. He rises above, rises above every human limitation. And the last thing that the, all the evidence says about God is that God is not as hidden as we sometimes make him out to be. He's not as hidden as we sometimes make him out to be. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about how God, you can't, how can he be real if I can't see him? How can there be a God out there if I can't touch him, if I can't talk to him face to face? Well, all the evidence that we just kind of began to, I mean, we just, we just scratched the surface this morning. It points to how God is actually a lot more visible than, than we even realize. This summer, take some time. Take a drive up to Artist Point, and when you get up there, take, take a little hike and just stand there and look around at Mount Shuxon and Baker and, and the, the North Cascades and the San Juans off in the distance. And just stop and think about this. How could all that just come to be unless somebody was designing it? I've had the, the, the great joy of watching five babies come into this world. It is I, mean, I don't understand. It's impossible to watch that and go, how could there not be a God who created all this and caused it all to come to be? And it, it's, this, it's this miracle. And um, this last week, as I was doing some of this sermon prep, I actually got away on a little bit of a retreat and was off doing a hike in, uh, in, the, in the countryside. And as I was, I was hiking along, all of a sudden, on, right beside the trail, there was this huge cottonwood tree. And on this cottonwood tree was this little tiny squirrel. I thought, okay, normally I just walk right past something like that because I've seen lots of squirrels in my life. I thought, okay, I'm just going to stop here and stare at this, this squirrel because it wasn't going anywhere. I was actually really mad that I was beside its tree. And so we stood there, and we had this little stare down for probably about five or ten minutes. And I was watching this thing just in light of this, this sermon this week going, this is, this is, it's incredible. Here's this little creature that's kind of skittering and scattering across the tree, and it's looking at me, and it's making this kind of weird humming, buzzing sound. It's got these long claws and this fur and these little tiny ears, and, and you're going, how could this just kind of come to be on its own over millions of years unless there was someone behind it, an intelligent designer who had this whole thing in mind? The Bible says it like this. When it comes to all the evidence of creation pointing to God, it says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. 
through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And the existence of God is evident everywhere. Science even proves his existence. And faith starts when you look around at everything and you admit that, okay, there's, there's got to be a God. There's got to be somebody out there who's outside of time and space who caused all this to come to be. And when you look at all of that and, and, and the incredible amount of evidence, the proof that there is a God, and you go, no matter what I see, I'm not going to believe there's a God. You need to be stepping back and asking yourself, why do I not want to believe that there's a God? Why is that? And, and faith starts, though, when you go, okay, I don't, I, I see it all, maybe I don't understand it all, but I, th- there's got to be a God. I was this last week talking with a, a pastor who is, uh, um, he's the, uh, He's the guy who leads the, the Western Christian professors faculty forum. So the, he's this kind of pretty intelligent guy. And uh, he actually grew up atheist, didn't believe there was a God. And when I found that, I started peppering this guy with questions because of where I was going this week. And it was really interesting to hear his story, how he just came to the conclusion later on in life, after looking at all the evidence around him, that, okay, there has to be a God. Things just could not have come to be without an intelligent designer being behind everything. So he came to the conclusion, there's a God, but then he went on this retreat to this cabin and just began to ask himself all these questions and, 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 and was trying to figure out who this God is. And he pulled out a Bible, and as he's doing this, he comes to Colossians chapter 1, where it says this. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. And when he read that, he told me he stopped because he'd already reached the conclusion that there is a God based off of all the evidence in creation. But then when he came to this, it was like he, he had this realization, okay, here's the God. He's not this unknown out there. The Bible says this God has a name. His name is Jesus. The Bible says the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In other words, he existed before time and space. He's eternal, and in him all things hold together. And the question for us isn't just is there a God who, uh, who is out there somewhere, but, but what are we going to do with this God that Scripture says is real, is alive. He's a God who didn't just create everything and then stay off there, out there in space, but he's a God who comes along and he engages in his creation. He gives his life for us. He steps off of his throne in heaven and he, he walks down and ends up um, laying his life down on a cross for us. The question is, what are we going to do with this God? What are you going to do with, with, with all the evidence and this morning, really, you know, you've got a couple choices. You can, you can say you don't want to put your faith in God. You can say, no, I'm not, it doesn't matter how much evidence there is. I'm not going to believe that there's, that there's a God. But I want you to understand something this morning. If that's where you're landing, you are not making a statement that, that, that is, 
It's, it's not a statement that has no faith in it. Your, your statement that there is no God is actually a faith statement because you're saying, rather than put my faith in God being the designer, the creator behind everything, instead, I'm going to put my faith in, in this belief over here that it just all came to be. Those, those odds, 10 to the power of 40,000, I'm going to put my faith over there. Choosing this takes just as much faith as believing this. And this morning, my, my encouragement and my plea to you this morning is to look to Jesus. Jesus comes along and he says, you don't have to go searching any longer. You don't have to figure it all out. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the one who came for you. I'm the one who came to answer not only the questions about the existence of the universe, I'm the one who came to answer the questions of the heart, like, like what can satisfy a broken, captive soul. I'm the one who came to answer all those questions. And my encouragement to you today is to put your faith in Jesus, to come to him, let him make something new, let him come and take your, your brokenness, the nothingness, so to speak, and make something beautiful out of that. Let him take your heart. Let him take your heart and make it alive in him. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that, uh, Lord, you've given us creation, God, to enjoy, but God, also to, to point to the reality uh, of who you are and of your existence. And Lord, I pray this morning that Jesus, God, you would, you would speak to us not just with what's out there, but God, just I pray that you'd speak to us even in our hearts. And Lord, I know that there's some here this morning who in their hearts, maybe they're just doubting, they're questioning, they're going, I don't, I don't want to believe there's a God, but Lord, I pray that you would come in and that Jesus, you would show yourself, reveal yourself to be the way, the truth, the life, the one who satisfies, the one who's the living water, the bread of life. And Father, I just pray that you would meet each person here, God, in a very intimate intimate way. And Lord, I, I want to just thank you that, that, Lord, you're not a God who just stays out there as the creator, but Lord, you're a God who makes yourself known to us, who engages us and, and walks beside us. God, when we put our faith and trust in you, you come and live in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that, that Jesus, uh, God, we would take this reality and, and that, God, we would respond with faith God, we respond with lives that are, are committed to following you as the one who is over everything, the one who is the creator of everything, the one who is, is, is intricately involved in each one of our lives, who cares for us and loves us so much. And Lord, I just want to lift up anybody who came in this morning and, and maybe they're going through something in life that's just got them in a place of being discouraged or... Lord, maybe they came in this morning, and, and Lord, they're just feeling far from you, looking for hope. Lord, I pray that, that, Lord, they would just understand right here in this moment that, Jesus, you're for them. That, Jesus, you are fighting their battle, God, as Becky talked about earlier. And that, God, they would just be encouraged with that. And that, Jesus, they would be in a place, Father, where they would just surrender their heart, their life to you, put their trust in you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I just want to pray your blessing on each one of us. God, as we leave today, I pray, Lord, that you would 
go before us this week, and let your blessing uh, and your favor just rest on our lives in a powerful way. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.